0: Joshua chapter 7 Achan's sin But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things Achan son of Carmi the son of Zimri the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took some of them so the Lord's anger burned against Israel Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel and told them go up and spy out the region. And so the men went up and spied out Ai. And when they returned to Joshua they said not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it. And do not weary all the people. For only a few men are there. So about 3,000 men went up. But they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord remaining there till evening. And the elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, Why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this. They will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up, what are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned, they have violated my covenants which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go. Consecrate the people. Tell them. Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. So in the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family and the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. He who is caught with the devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward, and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was taken. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you've done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. And so Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was, hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent, all that he had, to the valley of Acher. And Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over each and they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of achor ever since.
1: It's a tough one. It's funny, uh, I don't look forward to preaching on things like this, but I felt when I first took on the challenge that I ought to, so I'm praying that God will be with us as we listen and interpret what he wants to say to us, so that's my rider. Um, I've just come back from a a few days off in uh, St. Agnes, which was really nice, Uh, really nice, the weather was fantastic, it was good, we stayed in a lovely cottage in St. Agnes, and um, there's some lovely cafes and restaurants, and uh, we had our dog with us, got to get the dog in somewhere today, and uh, one of the cafe owners said, if I put a steak on that surfboard over there on, those, on that bench, and, um, and your dog can jump up and get it, I'll give you a free meal. But if she can't do it, you pay me for two. So we agreed the challenge, and if you know our dog, you can jump pretty high. So it was no problem at all, Tiggy ran up, took the steak, and free meal. That was a deal. That's great. So we, he was impressed, and we got a meal. So that was good. Next day, we, we, uh, we were given another challenge by the guy who went in there for a coffee, and he said, um, okay, uh, if your dog can jump up and get two steaks from the top of the counter, then I'll give you free meals for the rest of your stay in St. Agnes. But, but if the dog fails, you pay me the equivalent of two meals a day for each day you stay here. Hmm. we declined after we would had our coffee we were leaving the guy said um, tell me why didn't you take on the challenge and my lovely wife Chris said well the stakes were too high <laughs> now you don't have to believe anything I say do you <laughs> raising the stakes and uh, in some ways, that's what this chapter does to me. It raises the stakes. It's sandwiched between, strange enough, if you're an academic, between verse one and verse 26, which is kind of beginning and end of the chapter, which is quite convenient. And it starts by saying, the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And it finishes with the verse within verse 26. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. So this whole chapter is about God's anger And how he expressed that, how the people had to deal with it, and what the result was for them, for Joshua and for the nation. So it's interesting, we don't often talk about God's anger, do we? But that's what this is about. So I'm going to pray now before I go any further, because I'm nervous about this subject, and uh, I don't want to get it wrong, or I don't want to dishonor God, actually. Lord, your word is true. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you'd forgive me where I misinterpret it. But my prayer, and all our prayer, is that's why we're here, Lord. We want to hear the truth and be honest with it and hear from you so that we become the people you want us to be. Help us, Lord. Amen. Right. So I'm going to look at a few things like um, why was God angry? How did that manifest itself? How was that interpreted by Joshua? What was God's instruction? What was the outcome? And so on. I won't go through all of this, so you'll think you'll never get to the end. It starts in verse 1 by the word but. And only God knew what had gone on. And it sets the scene. And the chapter's kind of written for our benefit. (laughs) Because God saw what had happened, and Joshua didn't know. And we don't know when we start reading it. Why was he angry? Well, if you read in chapter 6 of uh, Joshua, it says, in the context of taking Jericho, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that's in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you'll make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Devoted things. Um, There's different ways of translating it. Accursed, it says in the older versions, devoted, that kind of thing. Basically, they're things that are entirely and irrevocably God's. They're his. And so the issue of judgment is is a difficult one, but the main part about the whole whole of this chapter is that God's people were meant to be set apart to God, a people of holiness, not destruction. They're not meant to go around destroying things. But obedience is vital for holiness, for separateness. So it's about being aligned with God's ways. And in this book, we learn that Achan the Israelite, in effect became a Canaanite and died. Whereas Rahab, the Canaanite, in effect became an Israelite and lived. So it's not about ethnicity. It's about alignment with God and his ways. And what I'm passionate about is that we need to do that. That's what this book of Joshua starts with. It's Moses handing on the book, as I've said on both occasions now, and saying to Joshua, read this book, eat it, live by it, Don't step aside from it, the left or the right. This is your life. And I'm saying, God, help, church, help. We need to abide by the book. And if you look at it another way, God was not against the nations of the world, because in fact, if you look through the Old Testament, if you go back to Exodus, God's judgment was on his own people very strongly. You remember the earth opened like an earthquake so that the sons of Korah were swallowed up because they argued with Moses. There was a plague that kills 24,000 people because the men of Israel fancied the women of Moab and invited them into the camp to have sex, basically, and God was angry. And 24,000 Israelites died because of that. I'm also reminded of something my mum used to say to me. (laughs) Because um, if I had to do something, or not do something, my mum would say, you know, don't do this, Peter, you know, whatever it is, or eat up, whatever it was, eat your fish, or you won't get any pudding. And I'd used to question why, like all children do, I guess, like adults do as well. And she would sometimes say, because I said so. (laughs) And it's interesting listening to the generations today, and I listen to my own son, and you know they bring up a grandchild. And it's great the way they reason and try and un- teach a child to understand why things are done. But I hope we never ever take away that sometimes you have to do things because I said so. Hmm. You don't have to know it's because I said so. Because then it's about trust, isn't it? It's about something you don't understand. And so much about God is stuff I don't understand. But we trust him. Because he says so. I hope we never lose that. If you're a parent, beware. Yeah. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not understanding everything God says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the whole idea of devoted things was to teach Israel lessons of trust. Holiness and separation from idolatry and evil in the cultures in the world at the time that were around them. it's not Holiness is not about moral perfection. It's about otherness. It's about being separate for God so that we do what God says. And that way, bless all the nations, which was Abraham's first call on Israel. So, why was God angry? Well, because the nation, it says the Israelites... Actually, it was only one person had thought they knew better than God. And they committed this affront by not doing what God had said. And as a result, they became the same as what they lied about. So they had to be destroyed. It seems tough, doesn't it? How did that, that manifest itself? What was the result of that then? Well, defeat, powerlessness, no sense of God's presence with them. They were utterly defeated at what seemed like a simple battle. The hearts of the people melted, it says, and they became like water. Which is just what Rahab said about in, in chapter 2, verse 11. Our hearts melted in fear and our courage failed because of you. For the Lord God in heaven above is in heaven above and on earth below. And it's exactly the same, it seems, as in chapter 5 we hear about. That the kings of the Amorites said that they heard, when they heard the Lord had dried up the Jordan until they crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had any spirit in them. So they realized, if you like, that God wasn't with them anymore. <laughs> and that's an awful thing. When you realize that God is not pleased and he's not with you anymore. And how was that interpreted by Joshua? Well, it's interesting. If you read his... His prayer there—he falls on his face before God. Thank God he did that, <laughs> and didn't just walk off in a huff. He fell on his face before God and said, "If only we'd not even come here. This—what's going on? We're powerless." And then he ends up by saying, um, "Was it? What will you do for your great name?" As if God somehow had failed and become small. Sin and... Disobedience had caused Joshua's vision of God to become small. <laughs> As if God wasn't God anymore. And sin does that with us, doesn't it? If we live in a place of disobedience and defeat, it's not long before we think, well, God doesn't really exist and he doesn't love me and he can't do what he says he can. It's not God's problem. <laughs> it's our problem. I guess we've all known that at times. I'm not, you know, haven't, haven't you? I certainly have. When you walk away from God, you make some decision, you know it's wrong, you do something stupid, and you just, God isn't with you anymore, and it's the most dreadful, terrifying thing, actually. God's not with me. Well, thank God, the story continues. (laughs) Thank God that Joshua got on his face. And even though he spilled it all out and misinterpreted, God says something to him. Because he's a gracious God. And he does not want us to stay in disobedience and out of sorts with him. So, what did God say? Well, it's a blunt rebuke. Stand up. What are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned. Let's face it. And normally, when God speaks, he says, I this. I will bring you into the land. I will do this for you. I will do that for you. We've read it all the way through Joshua so far. And now we read this in verse 10 and 11. They have violated my covenant. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. And I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. The covenant was broken. That's serious stuff. It reminds me so much of the Garden of Eden. (laughs) When God didn't say don't eat the tree of knowledge and good and evil because it'll make you like me, or... He just said, don't do it, because I said so. (laughs) But they did it. And then God said, they've become like one of us. They'll have to be destroyed. They'll have to die. (laughs) It's sobering, isn't it? Hmm. Then we get this confession, this kind of... It doesn't say quite how it's done, but whether... anyway. They're whittled down. I don't know what this guy was thinking about as he was standing in the crowd, and gradually, down to the tribe, down to the family. And then Joshua comes to him and says, come on, tell me. Honor God by at least telling the truth. And this guy then has to admit it. And it's interesting. He basically says, I saw, I coveted, I took it. And I concealed it. Who hasn't done that before? <laughs> That's just sin, isn't it? It's what Adam and Eve did. They saw it's good fruit. They coveted it. Give me knowledge. They took it, shared it. Then they hid from God Himself. It's like they became the fruit, <laughs> actually. They hid, they were hidden. And there's terrible consequences. And it's interesting to note they had to destroy the family and I'm I'm not going to attempt to even go through that. But that's what happened. God was serious about it because it affected the whole nation. But it's sad when you read that Achan was so wealthy. He had sheep, he had donkeys, he had a family and he lost a lot because it wasn't enough. (laughs) He coveted beware, Pete, <laughs> beware, a Babylonish garment, bit of silver, a bit of gold, beware, beware. I, um, I had a, a vivid dream again on holiday, nothing to do with the bedding or anything like that. But it, it, it's disturbed me, because I was back in my surveying days. I wasn't going to share this, but it's come to mind. I was back in my surveying days, and I was invited to go to some conference of surveyors. I didn't know any of them, any of them at all, but it was like a, a big meeting, and you went in, and people were talking about it. It was a big investment. I think it was in Bradley Stoke or something like that, and these were all professionals and giving papers and this kind of thing. It was great. And I, I felt really privileged to be there. It was great. Go on well. it's nice. And then, um, and then someone said, we need a new treasurer to set this up. So, some, so the treasurer was appointed, went out the back and came back in. And when he came back in, everyone started going like this. I thought, what's going on? What's all that about? Is this a secret society or something? And uh, it, I just felt disturbed. And then the meeting went on. And then, and then the chair of the meeting started to sing a kind of, I don't know, like a confession type thing. I thought, I'm now starting to feel really uncomfortable. This feels like a secret society. This is my dream, and I just didn't like it. And, uh, and then the person next to me was a really nice guy, really friendly, said to me, oh, you know, Pizza, what do you think about investment in Bradley Stoke and property and this kind of thing? And I said, oh, well, you know, and I gave some fairly bland, nonchalant answer from my ignorance. And he said something quite intelligent. And, uh, and then he sort of said a phrase like it, like it was something that he'd learned. I just thought, I've really not like this. <laughs> and then I looked at the clock, it was 11 o'clock, and I thought, I said, i to be home at 10? Help! And you know that awful feeling when you're in an elders' meeting or something, and you suddenly realise you said <laughs> be home at a certain time. And I thought, I'd better text Chris. So I started texting Chris, and I thought, blow me. Chris is at home, and she's on chemo. How ridiculous that I'm even thinking that I can't leave this meeting to be home on time. My priorities have gone up the chute. I've been trapped. I've suddenly been drawn into a power... There's uh, something going on here that I hadn't realised, and I woke up from the dream, and I, and, I, and I was reminded that verse that says, "Don't be unequally yoked." And you read about something that are going on in the world today, and you realise this spirit behind it. There's something dark behind it, and God is calling us to be separate from Him. I'm only showing that because it came to me so vividly. So I'm just throwing it out. It Maybe it applies to me, maybe it applies to somebody else. But beware, beware. Jesus said, didn't he, don't sell your soul for a Babylonish garment or a bit of silver, a bit of gold, or whatever it might be. Okay. The Lord turned from his anger. And then what happens? We find in chapter 8 that the whole thing is restored, which is just... Amazing, and God says, don't be afraid now, don't be discouraged, take the army, and this is how you're going to fight on. And it's like nothing had happened. Isn't God wonderful <laughs> in forgiveness and grace, in restoring them back to that place where they should have been? Now, can one person sacrifice for a What about this whole issue of herem, or kerem, or however you uh, Annette, pronounce it? I, I can really recommend Helen Painter's master's dissertation on it. So um, if you want a copy, get in touch with Helen. If you don't know who Helen is, contact the office. Uh, she used to be a part of the membership here. She's now a minister down in town. Um, but one of the people that she was looking at in the discussion of Harem, this whole thing of utter destruction, um, was suggesting that we need to read Isaiah 53. And when you read Isaiah 53, you realize that in some ways, Jesus himself became the accursed thing. God himself, Jesus himself, put himself in that place of taking the judgment, the fire, the stoning, so that we never, ever have to see this kind of thing happen again. Jesus did it. The perfect one. Who lived faultlessly. Never harmed anybody. He took it all. Oh God. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you Jesus. Read Isaiah 53. Meditate on it with that in mind. It's quite interesting. And then it says in Romans doesn't it. For as through one man's disobedience many were made sinners. So through the obedience of one many will be made righteous. Jesus has taken the curse that was justly ours. Great. There's also an eternal aspect to this. And again, Helen's dissertation is quite interesting. There's a kind of now and not yet. If there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where there's no pain, no sickness, no sorrow, no sin, there must be a destruction of the way things are at the moment. They've got to come to an end. <laughs> That's sobering too. Read to Peter. We must read our Bibles. And thirdly, there is a warfare today, but it's not against flesh and blood anymore, is it? It's against principalities and powers of the present darkness, spiritual forces. That's why I say, wake up, church, be aware. An interesting chapter to read, too, is Matthew 10, because it starts with a, a warfare against spiritual darkness. Jesus calls the disciples, go out now, deliver people from demons, heal the sick, and then it goes on and you, to say towards the end, he who disowns me, I'll disown him. <laughs> interesting, isn't it? Now, what about the New Testament church? Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5 of Acts is a very sobering story. God took action because something was going on about covetousness that would destroy the work of God. So this isn't just Old Testament. And we hear of other judgment. If you look in Corinthians, for example, Paul says, that behavior is not acceptable. Put that person out. We don't talk in these terms, do we? But perhaps we ought to. Because God loves his church and sees his church as the way of salvation for all mankind, just as he wanted Israel to be. Israel let God down. Please God, may the church not fail him. When he's given all, taken our punishment, given us the Holy Spirit, equipped us, encourages us to get on board and do his work, So it is a sobering question, isn't it, to think, is it true that my lack of obedience could affect the whole of this church? <laughs> In some way? Interesting, isn't it? I do find that sobering when I realize that at the beginning of the year we made a covenant together. Now, a covenant, God's serious about. I recommend you go back and read what you covenanted, if you took part in that. And if there's something you haven't done, put it right. I think that would be really good. I've got a few quotes here. John Stott said this. The search for Christian growth and fulfillment without acknowledging the cost of Christian discipleship is still a major temptation today. In fact, if you read back in Matthew 10, which I referred to, one of the key parts of that chapter is about take up your cross daily, I'm now going to read quite a long bit that Tozer wrote, because I like Tozer. He wrote this. The heaviest obligation... Oh, I, I'll, the, the language is—it refers to man, but it means male and female. Okay, just to say that, to start with. The heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate the concept of God until it is once more worthy of him and of the church. Amen to that. The natural man is a sinner, and only only because he challenges God's selfhood in relation to his own. In all else, he may accept the sovereignty of God, but he unconsciously imitates Lucifer, who said in his own heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will be like the Most High. Yet so subtle is self, that scarcely anyone is conscious of its presence. His constant assertion of self, as far as he thinks of it at all, appears to him a perfectly normal thing. He's willing to share himself, sometimes even sacrifice himself to a desired end, but never to dethrone himself. He's still, in his own eyes, a king on a throne, and no one, not even God, can take that throne from him. (laughs) That's our issue, isn't it? (laughs) That's my issue, isn't it? I want to rule my own life. And God says you can be free of all that because you know in the end it brings destruction and unhappiness and poverty and you know not God's not with you and life doesn't make sense anymore come away be free but be dethroned There's a good man I knew, Norman Meatham. He was an itinerant preacher, did a lot in India. He saw a lot of the idolatry out there, a lot in Asia, actually. Lovely, lovely guy with his wife Jenny. And he said this, the greatest hindrance to the spread of the gospel is not Marxism or Islam or Hinduism or materialism, and he lists a whole lot, but compromised Christianity. Those who say they're Christian but behave as if they're not. Hmm. I quoted Wesley last week. The grand stumbling block to spread the gospel is the lives of Christians. The generality of those who call themselves Christians but are not living proof of the gospel since they lack the power of religion in their hearts and have failed to embody holiness in their lives. God wants a people to be holy to himself. I spoke in March last year on holiness being an imperative to good news. And I just, again, a good reflection, think of Moses, think of Joshua, think of Isaiah, think of Peter. All these people had an awareness of the holiness of God and fell on their faces. All of them then had a charge to go out and tell the world the good news. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Moses was called to go and deliver the people of Israel, even though he was aware of the holiness of God and felt destroyed. Isaiah was the same. Joshua, we see it before the captains of the Lord's host. He felt destroyed, and yet because of that, God said, now go, lead this people into the land. And Peter's the same, isn't he? Peter fell before Jesus' feet in the boat and said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And then Jesus says, I'll make you a fisher of men. So holiness is not this moral thing where we judge other people. It's God saying, come on, be different, because I love people. And I want them to know the good news because there's a way into God because I've taken the curse oh God that we'd get it (laughs) oh Lord that we'd be a church that got it (laughs) please God open our eyes so it burns in with us like a passion because it does in God (laughs) it does right I'll wrap up few questions Firstly, do you have unconfessed sin? You're hiding something from God. I plead with you. He's taken the penalty. Come clean. And you can be restored, forgiven. Oh, the relief. But it's tough, because you'll have to be dethroned. Corporately, do we as a church... Need to face things. I'm asking the question. And my invitation is, if you seek God this week and you think, actually, maybe one of the reasons why our finances aren't in a good a state as they should be is because we're not doing something right. Please, if that's what you feel, talk to me. Talk to the leadership about it. Tell someone about it. Because I want this church to be God's church, not our church. Because God's got work to do. Because He wants to save people into His glorious kingdom. Hmm. And I thoroughly recommend Prayer Mate. Just to say, Ian Campbell put me onto it a few weeks ago, and I find it a real blessing. So just to say, it's helped me in my prayer life. And I've put all my neighbors on there, and all you guys, so I now pray for you regularly. And it's a good discipline. I was going to finish by reading 2 Peter 3. Read it yourself. It talks about God's final judgment and the passion to see the world saved. Can I pray? Words, words, words. (laughs) But God's word has life in it. So as we go away today, Lord, I ask that your word would lodge in our hearts because that's got life in it and it can change us. And if there's things that you need to convict me about, then amen. And we say that as a body together, for those of you who want to. I'm not forcing anyone to do anything. But we want to be about your business, oh God, and see your kingdom come. Please, God, hear our prayer. (laughs) Amen.